primary purpose that I'm here today is to deliver God's word to you. But I also want to just challenge you and encourage you. Um, So I've been doing this uh, pastor church thing for over two decades. And uh, there's a very simple, simple equation uh, that I see repeated over and over in in both a positive way and negative way. And uh, and I want to encourage you to do this the positive way. Um, I know uh, that your uh, pastor, Matthew, um, in the sovereignty of God, he was ordained to be your pastor for this particular time. And uh, here's what I find. When churches love their pastor well, they receive a rich reward and benefit. And that is their pastor having an easier time loving and leading them well. So can I just challenge you and encourage you? And I believe this is already happening, but the, and so it's not like I we've seen a lap and the lack, and Matthew doesn't even know I'm having this uh, little conversation with you right now. He didn't hear anything beforehand, but can I just encourage you? Uh, over and over I see when, when churches love their pastors well, they receive a rich reward. And I just want to encourage you and challenge you to continue to do that well and to grow in doing that well. And, uh, and I believe that God has the best for you uh, when you honor him, the Lord, by loving your pastor and his family well in that way. So um, let me just briefly pray, and then we're going to turn and look at Luke chapter 14 this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us right now. Lord, we're, uh, we're not here to hear a message because it's the day of the week that that's supposed to happen. That's religious ritual. Lord, we, we desperately need to hear from you. And we want to know you more deeply so that we can live for you the way that you have called us to. So guide us now in these next few moments as we look at this text of scripture. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So Luke chapter 14, probably the most important words I'll t- say to you this morning. Turn in your Bible, your copy of the Bible, to Luke 14. Um, Don't want to be somebody who just expounds my ideas here. We want to let the Word of God really direct us. I know that you're a church that's committed to that, and you have a pastor who is very uh, skilled in doing that. And uh, and so, again, I want to just continue to look at a text of Scripture and, and let the text of Scripture really drive us to an understanding and the point of what's going on there, not just some guy's thoughts about this text of scripture. And, and with that, can I just tell you that I, uh, I am looking at this message here today. I, I, w- I was praying and, and desperately on my knees asking, what does the Lord want this church to hear? And I had a couple different options. And man, I kept, I kept flip-flopping back and flip-flopping back. And I asked Pastor Matthew and he gave me no help. And I asked <laughs> Pastor Hang and he gave me no help. And, uh, and, and actually he directed me the other way and then I went the other way. And um, I don't, I usually take Hank's advice, but not today. Um, I believe that God has Luke 14 for you today, a guest speaker just popping in, not in the midst of a series, but a message that he wants Fairfax Bible Church to hear today. It's one that I actually studied and delivered to our church um, up in Lancaster, Mission Church in Lancaster is where I currently passed out and on staff pastoring with a number of pastors. And um, and uh, this was a series that we did, and yet it's a rich message. And I remember when I preached it, I was like, I think this is for more than one church. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I think that this is for your church here today. Today, I want you to take a look at an invitation to what they call the Great Banquet. <coughs> the Great Banquet. And, and as we do that, I want you to just think for a moment, and try to connect to this story here a little bit, with uh, thinking to what is the most honoring invitation that you've ever received. Like there was a, a special event, there were a lot of really important people, there was a big deal, and, and have you ever been invited to something like that? 
uh, that, that you had the ability to go and, and, and you were just felt so honored that you got the invitation to be a part of that. Anybody have an invitation like that? Yeah? Um, what's your, so this is going to be the part of the sermon where you're allowed to talk back for a moment. So <laughs> why, if you raised your hand, what was that special event? Somebody shout out a special event like you were so honored to get the invitation to. Go ahead. Somebody? Go. Dad re-enlistment ceremony. ceremony. Awesome. What else? What else have you got here today? Thank you. <laughs> that usually comes up, and I'm so glad it was number two on the list today. Uh, it, it increased from some of the other uh, ones that I had. A wedding, you get invited to a wedding, right? There's these incredible events that are happening, and um, I'm not a very important, I'm not like a VIP person in, in any sense, but when we were in Malaysia, we were, uh, we, our, our international church had people that were parts of embassies and diplomatic corps, and, and so there were like ambassadors that came to our church, and, and, and all the different uh, significant positions in that way, and that was a lot of fun in, in many aspects, but um, there was a yearly event that happened in KL that was, would happen, and my wife and I never got invited to it. It was at the U.S. Embassy. And every year, and this just happened, by the way, yesterday, um, the, the Marine Corps has a birthday party. Anybody know about the Marine Ball? I would accept, expect that this area would know a little bit about the Marine Ball, right? And, and every year, we, we had all of our friends in the embassy got to go to this ball, and they got to be a part of this thing, and we never got invited because we were just little lowly peons, couples, right? We never got invited. And then in 2019, friends of ours invited us to the Marine Ball. It was incredible. It was the hottest ticket in town in KL though on that particular night. Like this is the thing everybody got dressed up and got to go to and we got the invitation. Here's proof, I've got pictures of us being there. We got all dressed up, all gussied up and there's the picture. Um, and, and we got to hang out with the Marines up in the top corner there. And they, they had this thing at the Marine Ball where like the oldest Marine in the room and the youngest Marine in the room, he was like 12. Okay. <laughs> they get to stand and do it. It's all this ceremony and this celebration. And not only do I have a picture, but uh, Nanan and Lulu, I have something you don't. I got the commemorative bottle opener for this particular wall. Okay, it, it's pretty cool. It's, it's red on this side. It's 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 blue on this side. It's got gold on it. Like you would never want to open a bottle with this to, to wreck it because this is the commemorative piece. Like I got to go to this incredible event in Malaysia in KL. We got to be a part of this awesome banquet. We got invited, and there was no way that we were going to go. Like, eh, we're too busy. We're doing some other stuff tonight. I mean, if you got invited to this, this is the one that you were like, yes, we're coming. We're so excited. We got to be a part of, we get to be a part of this. Like, we're part of the important people tonight. And, and we got to go to the ball. So when you get an invitation like this, it, and when you get this, this, this verbal or written request to go somewhere to something special, that's what an invitation is, right? You say yes. We said yes. And we had a great time. Because we felt included valued and special and loved and our names were on the list we got to show up and be a part of that event so what if I were to tell you what if I were to tell you that you also have an invitation to a great banquet believe it or not better than the Marine Corps Bowl that there is a banquet that is coming and there is an invitation that is on the table for you today you're going to hear the invitation to this awesome, this 
awesome ball, this awesome party, this awesome feast, this awesome banquet that is coming. We're going to see here in Luke chapter 14 that that is, that is really what is happening and going on here. That there is a kingdom invitation for kingdom citizens. And in this, we're going to look at the meat of the message. The meat of the invitation actually comes in a very special way. Not in a card that has all sorts of decoration or an email that has some sort of special message into it. It's going to come in a kind of a little bit of a hidden way. It's going to be a little bit of a secret here because it comes in the form of a parable. When Jesus taught, he taught in what, are, what we often commonly call parables. And parables are, are really, it means to throw alongside. That's really what the word parable means, to, to, to throw alongside. And so there is a plausible, straightforward story that supports a main teaching point. That's what a parable is. And, and, and this invitation that you're getting today, it's a plausible, straightforward story that, that is actually teaching something significant. Jesus talked about these parables because even though they're simple, straightforward stories, stories that are easy to, to, to grasp, there, there's a hidden part of it that, that the disciples asked him, why, what, what's, what are these parables? What, why are these things there? And he said, for those who, uh, who, who I'm calling to myself, they're going to understand it, but they're actually, I tell these things because there's some people I'm actually hiding some things from. And today I want you to, to, to be a part of the crowd that understands and sees not the, not the hidden part where you walk away and you go, I, that, I, like, I kind of get it, but I kind of don't. But I, I just want that clarity of this invitation that comes in this plausible coming along story to the teaching point that Jesus makes. And so I'm just going to make the point for you first, and then we're going to explore it, okay? So if you're a note-taking type, you might want to write this down. I, I would say that Jesus here in Matthew, or, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 14 is doing this. Jesus invites everybody to this banquet, to his banquet, but only those who respond with a humble heart actually sit at the table. Jesus makes an invitation to all, to everybody. There's nobody in the room here that he isn't actively inviting to his great banquet in the, the telling of the story here today. He's not like, uh, the, the, the group on the left side don't get to hear it, only the group on the right side gets to hear it. That's not what it is. Everybody is going to get the invitation to the banquet. You all get the invitation to this great event. But only those who respond with a humble heart will actually be sitting at the banquet table. So let me try to unpack that for you here. Everybody gets the invitation. Not everybody's going to be at the event. Why? If everybody gets invited, why will only some be at the celebration? And maybe a more important question is who? In today's message, I want to show you the story that Jesus' teaching point comes along with. And then I want to clarify the point of the story. And then I want to consider the applications that come out of this story. So kind of three movements to the message here today. The first is the actual story itself. And, and, and it actually, it's going to take us a little bit of time to get to the story. The parable doesn't start until down to uh, about verse 15 or 16. But we, we need to do some work beforehand to really understand what's going on here. Because Jesus tells a parable about a banquet at an actual banquet. So look at verse 1 for a second. You'll see that. Uh, one Sabbath, when he went 
to, to dinner at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees. They were watching him carefully. Think about that for a second. Sabbath, the most important day of the, of the Jewish calendar, where, where they would rest and they would worship Yahweh, and, and, and the ruler of the synagogue. So uh, the most important guy in society at that particular time would have been the ruler of the synagogue. The most important guy invited Jesus to the Sabbath feast. The Sabbath dinner, it was always a banquet in, in this particular context. And so Jesus got invited to the most important event of the week, this banquet. And at that, he's going to tell a parable about the banquet that's going to uh, support his point here in that process. But, but notice how we get to the banquet story, the banquet parable. Uh, there's some bumps in the road, <laughs> to say the least. But we see actually four interactions here. We see an interaction with Pharisees and experts of the law. And then we're going to see interactions with the guests that are part of this banquet. Then we're going to see the host appear. And then finally, Jesus is seated at the table. He's at table three or whatever it is there, right? And he's going to have a conversation with the people around the table right there. These four interactions, by the way, are, are, are going to be combative. They're going to, it's not like Jesus showed up and had this banquet and everybody was like, ah, he's the life of the party and he was awesome and he was the most important. He, we had such a good time with that guy. I want to get to know that guy better. They, they all have this kind of this friction and this conflict that happens there. And that's what's going to produce the parable and the story in just a moment. So let me tell you that, a little bit of the backstory here. Each of these interactions are tense because notice in verse 1 it says that he was being carefully watched. That, that carefully watched is like they're, they're looking for something in him to not like about him. There's already a bent. There's already a way that they're thinking about him uh, because of some previous interactions where he's called out the religious leaders. And, and so they're looking at and they're wondering what's going to go on. And they, they already know it's going to be a little bit of this, this battle that's going to happen here. And so we see here in the first six verses but we see that they're watching carefully, verse 2. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. I, I read that and I'm like, he drops stuff? <laughs> like, what is drop? I didn't know what dropsy was. Like, he just he can't, it's slippery, it falls out of his hands. And it's actually a medical condition. Not making fun of the medical condition, but it's where there's fluid in the body that builds up. And, and at this particular time, it was, a, it was something that would cause death. They didn't have a solution to it. So it was actually a really serious uh, situation here. And, and, and he sees this man with dropsy, and, and Jesus responds to the lawyers and the Pharisees in verse 3 and says, Is it lawful to heal on Sabbath or not? Because you understand all the restrictions of the religious about Sabbath. They had a ton of rules about what to do, not to do. They had a certain limited amount of steps that they were allowed to take that particular day. I mean, it was precise. These people were rule keepers, and they kept the rules Wow. One of the rules was you can't work on Sabbath. And they considered healing work. So Jesus knows what they already think here, but they remain silent. It says in verse 4, they took him. Then Jesus took him, the man with dropsy, and he healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? Listen, if your ox fell into the well, you immediately pull him out. And then you ask for forgiveness later. That, even though they kept these rules, if somebody was losing something valuable, they would have broken those rules to help the ox. But they look at Jesus healing a man who was dying. He broke the rules. 
verse 6, they could not reply to these things. Jesus here is addressing and confronting the religious rules. He's confronting religious rules that lack compassion. That's the issue here. And, and he's like, in my kingdom, in my kingdom, we're going to have compassion as part of the rule keeping. In your kingdom, that's not how you do it, but in my kingdom, that's the way it's going to be. And that made them tense at this banquet. Remember, it's supposed to be a celebration, a feast. We're going to have a good time. And immediately, the religious leaders are upset with Jesus here. So then, next scene, we see verses 7 to 11. Jesus confronts religious pride. It says, now he, now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. And he said to them, now we're not going to get the parable until later, okay? But... Here, he sees people choosing the places of honor, and he said to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come to you and say, Give up your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest spot, because of all the other spots would have been taken, right? So the, the most important spot would have been up front at the head of the table near the host. And if you try to sit, sit there and then he causes you to say, hey, you've got to go sit at the end of the table, that would be embarrassing, right? Would you be embarrassed? Yeah. And, and he says, listen, don't try to get the best seats. That's not how to do that. But, verse 10, when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. And then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. Here's the point for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus here is saying that the issue with this, the, the people at this banquet is not only are they rule keepers without compassion, but they're pridefully seeking position and not exhibiting humility. And in my kingdom, humility is the higher value, not self-seeking pride. Tension here begins to build because not only have the religious leaders now been confronted, now we see here that the guests have been confronted about their choice of seat. And Jesus is, is listen, uh, the focus is on him at the party, but he's not the life of the party. Do the, you feel the tension starting to rise here? The, the, the Sabbath dinner that's going on is getting a little bit tense, and, and, and people are starting to recognize there's something going on with this Jesus guy, and, and, and he's not. He's not really seeming to be like with us on these things. But it doesn't end there because he then confronts religious status seekers. Not just their pride, but status seekers by, by in verses 12 to 14. He goes on and, and he says uh, to the man who had invited him. So he confronted the religious leaders. He confronted all the guests who showed up. Now he's confronting the host of the party. This is how, not how you win a popularity contest, yeah. is it? <laughs> Now, now he goes after the host of the party, and, and, and he said to the man who invited him, the host, when you give a dinner or a banquet, which is what is happening right here at this moment, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Now, quick aside. If you go to lunch after, after service today with some friends, that's not illegal. Okay, That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is, if your motivation for doing that is to curry favor with somebody and actually get them to think more highly of you, and you then put them in debt because you hosted them, now you expect that they're going to do it back to you. You see what he's kind of getting at here? 
You see that? Yeah. Verse 13, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And we've got to pause here for a second because these, this is a description of those who are outcasts in society. At this particular time, if you were poor or you were crippled or lame or blind, the, the thought was that the reason that that was happening was because you were a sinner and God's judgment was on you. That's, that's a horrible way to think about people who are poor and crippled and lame and blind because that's not God's opinion. But that's what they thought God's opinion was at the, this particular time. So this would have been shocking that Jesus says, go invite these social outcasts that you think are sinners and, and they're in their condition because of that. Go invite them instead of the people who will actually be able to return the favor to you. These people can't return the favor. Go invite them. And verse 14, you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus here is is actually going after an issue of generosity. And he's saying, listen, it's not really generous if you get repaid for what's going on here. That's not true generosity. That's not honest generosity. If there's no sacrifice involved in this, that's not generosity. If you're just doing this to curry favor and get something in return, that's not generosity. And in the midst of this, Jesus now, having confronted them in three different ways, think about the tension in the room, right? For those of you who are, are, are good at this and uh, have some emotional intelligence, just read your emotional intelligence into the text here and realize like, the room is incredibly tense at the moment here. This, this guy that got invited isn't playing the game the way we're supposed to, and oh, he's calling us out in the midst of all of these things. The tension is incredibly high. And so then somebody who is emotionally intelligent speaks up in verse 15. And he says this. When one of those who reclined at the table with Jesus heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Oh, you didn't, you didn't know how to do that? This is actually a responsive part. That, that when somebody at this particular time said this particular phrase, the, the crowd knew that there was a response that they were supposed to give. It was kind of like responsive reading in, in church. Have you ever done that before? Right, Where the leader says one thing, and then, and then up on the screen are the words everybody else is supposed to say. Right? So you don't, you, don't know what, you don't know what that is, do you? Okay. So let me help, you, help us a little bit. There was a custom here. Um, he's trying to relieve the tension in the room by getting everybody to agree on something and come together and let's all in unity kind of say this thing together. And, and, and what is often done at these particular gatherings of God was that this phrase was said and then they would recite something that would look forward to a great banquet by the Messiah that was coming. It's actually uh, coming out of Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 to 9, and we can see here where the prophet wrote about a messianic banquet. The, the promised Messiah was going to come and give a banquet, and, and the description is given in this Isaiah 25 passage here. And for seven centuries prior to this particular meal that Jesus was at, they would say a phrase from Isaiah 25, and they all knew what they were supposed to say. It was like a toast. You, you, you were supposed to respond here at this particular moment. So let me just go back to Isaiah 25 for a moment, and, and let me just show you what uh, is actually being said here. Isaiah 25 says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged 
wine, of rich food full of marrow, and aged wine well refined. I mean, guys, you've got to realize, there, there's this feast that's coming, and the steak is going to be cooked perfectly. It's going to be just that perfect, rare amount of steak cookage, and no more, okay? And, and, and the wine is going to be from Chile or somewhere down in South America because that's where the best wine comes. You all know that, right? And, and, and I don't know a lot about wine, but that's what my wine friend tells me, all right? So I had to scoop him in on that one, right? So the best wine from the Southern Hemisphere is coming at this banquet, and we're going to feast together. This is going to, listen, when the Messiah shows up, there is going to be an awesome party. It goes on and, and it talks about how awesome this party is in verse, uh, Isaiah 25, verse 7. It says, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. You kind of responded properly there. Like, if you got on your feet and jumped up and down and clapped and cheered at that moment, that would have been... That would have been the right response. Can we try it again? Yeah. Whatever God, however God made you emotionally, redline that, okay? <laughs> he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord will God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people, and he will take away from the earth, for the, take all of that away from the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him lest we lest, let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Yes. Okay. So at this moment at the banquet where everything is really tense, somebody at Jesus' table, table number three, okay, it, they, they realize all the tension, and they're like, ah, we got to help this party. It's getting bad real quick. i got to help this guy get out of trouble. i got to say something that can get this thing back on track. And so he says, referring to Isaiah 25, he said, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. <laughs> kind of. You actually have a recited thing that you're supposed to say. I mean, we're going to put it up on the screen here, right? I think we're able to do that, John. Um, let's put this up here. O oh Lord, may we be among the righteous and be counted worthy to sit with men of renown on that great day. Okay? That's what the rest of the crowd was supposed to say when they heard this man cue them with what they all culturally knew because of Isaiah 25. This is how we respond. So pretend like we're at the banquet. Can we do that? And I'm going to be the guy at table three who's trying to rescue Jesus for a moment. And in the tension, I can't, you understand, right? So we see all this, this Jesus is, is confronting the religious leader about their lack of compassion and about their lack of humility and about their lack of generosity. And, and this man, I pretend like it's me, I'm sitting at the table and I say, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. O oh Lord, may we be among the righteous and be counted worthy to sit with men on that great day. That's what they expected Jesus and the table to say. They expected Jesus to respond with what you just said. 
But instead of responding with the formula, Jesus said, let me tell you a story. And the parable begins. I want to show you this parable and, and, and the three different scenes. You understand that a parable is a story that comes alongside the teaching point, so a story has scenes. Let me show you three scenes in this particular story, three scenes in this parable. Scene number one is an invitation to a dinner party. We see in verse 16, but he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many, and at the time of, for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Jesus is preparing for this banquet, says that a man is preparing for the banquet, and it's going to be a great banquet. And the custom in Near Eastern time, at this particular stage in time, was that there would be two invitations. An invitation, number one, needed to be given to say, hey, uh, later this week, we're going to have a party and you're invited. But because they didn't have refrigeration and Costco, they, didn't, they weren't able to get a feast together in the same way that we are today. They had to actually go out and kill the animal and prepare the animal and then cut the vegetables and they were fresh. Like, nobody knew exactly. You couldn't put a card out that said, at, at 7 p.m., show up. It was when the banquet was ready, then showing up would actually uh, need to be notified. So there was always two stages to a banquet invitation. Stage number one, hey, we're going to have a party later this week. And then when the banquet was prepared, now the second invitation would come, and, and they would say, hey, it's ready, come now. And it's kind of like today, where we uh, get cards to birthday parties and weddings and different celebrations, and, it, and you're supposed to RSVP, right? And if you RSVP and then you're a no-show and you ghost the party, what? I mean, that, we understand that's rude, right? You get that? That's rude. What we're going to find here is that there are people who get the invitation. They're like, oh, yeah, I'll be there. And then they don't show up. Now, in this particular culture, it, it's not just rude. It, it, we kind of get it. It's also insulting to us. It's like a slap in the face in this particular culture and time to not show up. And so you need to come up with an excuse, right? And, and that's kind of what happens here in scene number two. Scene number two, something's come up. Something's, hey, listen, you're invited to the party, but now something's come up. And what I want you to see in this is that it's absurd. It's absurd. It's absurd. Can you say the word absurd? Say it with me. Absurd. absurd. What happens here? You're going to need to say that word a few more times, okay? But let's just take a look and try to show you what is absurd here in this thing. Uh, in, in verse 18, then, when you pick up the story, it says, but they all alike begin to make excuses. Now, we're going to see three excuses, but notice, is there only three excuses according to verse 18? No, they're all, they all alike are making the excuses. Everybody is making an excuse. Everybody gets the invitation. Everybody is making an excuse. Here's a sample of the excuses. There's three. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it, please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Here we go. 
three excuses. Excuses, they, they're, they're, they seem legitimate, but in reality, they're actually incredibly offensive. Let me show you that. These excuses are masking pride with dumb reasons. Let me just say it that way. The problem here with excuse number one is the custom at the particular time when you bought a piece of land, there was a sequence of events that would have occurred at this time. It would have gone like this. Before a purchase of the plot of land, there would have been a negotiation for the price. Then you would actually go out, once the price was negotiated, you would actually go out and you would walk over the whole property. And you would walk all the borders of the property, you would walk through the center of the property, you would note the features of the property, you would get a history lesson while the previous owner told you what the property had netted to them. Agricultural, like what the yield was on the land at that particular time. You would memorize all of that because then you would go down to the town elders and you would recite everything that you learned about the property at that particular time. So for this man to say, please excuse me, I, I, I have a property to buy, that was a long drawn out process. That wasn't just like an hour down at the title company. And he's, he's just, I mean, somebody would receive this excuse and they would immediately be able to call it out and say, that's just a lie. I like what Billy Sunday, one of the famous preachers of old, says. He says, an excuse is a skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. That's what's going on here. There's a skin of a reason, but the content of it, 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 it's just fully a lie here. It's a blatant lie. It's obviously absurd. Say, absurd. 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 And it's offensive in, every, in a major way. It says that the host is not as important as this transaction that he's excusing himself, saying that that's why I have to be there. We go on and we see excuse number two. I bought five yoke of oxen, and I need to go check them out. Okay? The problem here is also the customs of the day were that if you were to buy oxen, you would actually have gone, you would go and you would try them out before you made the purchase. And so for somebody to say, I gotta go buy these oxen, it, it, it's just again another absurd. Say absurd. 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 It's like this. It's like if you were to call your wife on the way home from work and tell her, I bought five cars off Facebook Marketplace and I'm not gonna be home tonight. She would say, you're not telling me the truth. She would say, that's ridiculous and it's absurd. That's what's going on here. The final excuse, or let's just call it what it is, lie. Lie number three, I just got married, is an appeal to the heart. It's an appeal to the emotion. It's the, to say to him, I love this, this woman more, and so I can't go at this particular time. And again, the problem with this particular lie is that the custom of the day is that weddings were a week-long process. It wasn't just a one-time event at the time of a banquet. He would have known, he, would have, he could have said, I can't make it, I'm getting married already. He's saying, I have other things to do with my time, and I prefer to do them than spending it with you. The reality is, all of our excuses for not spending time with Jesus are just as absurd. Every one of these excuses could have been easily resolved so that they could have attended to the banquet. 
and while there are reasons, and, and I would say truth issues that could have been, could could come up here, these are excuses. These are deceit. These are skin of a reason stuffed with a lie, and they all demonstrate the priority that says, "I want to do what I want to do, even though I've said that I will come and I will spend time with you. I'm not going to do that." The issue is really not the excuses, but it's the desires and longings of their heart. I mean, think about this. Each one has made a decision to respond to the gracious invitation from a generous host, and they agreed. They've said, I'm going to come and I'm going to enjoy relationship, this important event that you're throwing a feast for. I'm going to celebrate with you, and I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to, I'm going to help you support the celebration of those things. And each excuse is attempting to conceal the fact that other things are more important and greater worth than spending time with that generous host. I mean, I think the application begins to become very plain in this parable story. Those of you sitting here today, particularly those of you who have put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, those of you who have heard the, and received the invitation from Christ for a life in relationship with him, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, those of you who've heard that invitation, you're the one who's made a decision to respond to the gracious invitation of the king, and you've committed into this relationship with Jesus Christ and to follow him in discipleship. And yet, how many have responded to the invitation, choose, and then choose only to follow him when it's convenient, or they have nothing else to do, or they have a des no desire that is, is greater at that particular time? How many of us don't show up and delight in a relationship with Christ because we have something else that we deem more important? That's not where the parable ends, though. There's one more scene. The scene number three, the party must go on. We see in verse 21, it says this, So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is more room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my banquet. Jesus says, go out and make them come in so that my house will be full. That's his desire. Notice when the host hears that the invited are making excuses and they're not coming up, he doesn't just shrug his shoulders and say, well, they're lost. It says here that the host is angry. He's emotionally invested. He cares deeply that those who receive the invitation and say yes to the invitation actually would be at the table. And when they reject that and they reject him in that, that matters greatly. It demonstrates the host's heart and his desire and his hurt and the rejection and the righteousness with what she then, he then acts. And the invitation then shifts from those who are considered worthy to those who are considered unworthy. Remember, it said, bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Societal's outcast 
the one they considered, now listen, not the host considering them unworthy, those society considered unworthy. He says, go get them. Go get them. They never would have expected to be invited to this type of event. But, but this is the, the invitation that goes out, and Jesus is making a point, and he says, notice what is, what is unique about this unworthy group when they're invited. They come. They come to the banquet. They show up. They don't make excuses. They value it. And they, even though they have other things going on in their life, they're not greater than this invitation that's been given. The value of being at the banquet is heavy on them, and they don't treasure anything else more than that. And so they come, and they run, and they crawl, and they say, we'll be there. So what's the story mean? That's the story. What's it mean? What does it reveal? Well, here's the point of the parable. Number two, if you're taking points here, taking notes, point note number two, the point of the parable is this. Jesus invites everyone to his banquet, but only those who respond with a humble heart are those who sit at the table. It's just that. This is revealed by contrasting the two different groups that are invited to this banquet. We see group number one who make excuses and excuse number two who will attend the banquet. And group number one, more than likely, they're independent and wealthy and capable and visionary and self-assured and satisfied and preoccupied, not unlike many of us in this room. They were religious people who showed up at the right times, read the holy book, recited scripture. They were well-off and educated and independent. And they presumed that they were getting into the kingdom. They presumed that they would be sitting at the table. But they're not in the kingdom. They're not in the kingdom, as we see in this story. In the parable, they find something else to do, something that's more important to them, rather than coming to the banquet. But the contrast is group number two. <laughs> group number two, this group is dependent, and needy, and handicapped, and broken, and damaged, and filled with doubt, and marked by baggage of life, and afraid, and hungry, and alone. But they're the ones at the table. They're the ones at the table. They're the ones sitting at the banquet table. This is a surprise. The original hearers would have even been insulted that Jesus would have taught a story that said they weren't going to be there. Rather, these social outcasts were going to be there. So we have to slow the story down a little bit and ask, why would that have been surprising to them? This contrast between those who considered themselves worthy and the ones that should be invited to the banquet, and the unworthy who would never receive the invitation. Why? Why? What? Jesus, what, are you, what point are you making here? Well, remember, it's a parable, and so it's a plausible story designed to teach a point. And we see here that nobody enters without an invitation, but notice, everybody gets the invitation. Everybody gets the invitation. Group one got the invitation, and group two got the invitation. Everybody gets the same invitation. The only difference is their response. 
And the response showed their deepest desire in what was precious and what they valued and what they treasured most. And what Jesus is saying is that people who recognize that there's nothing within me that qualifies me to be at the banquet, but praise God, I got the invitation, so I get to go, and I've been invited, so I will show up. Those are the ones who are at the great banquet. Let me ask you a question. Just let the Spirit wash over your hearts and evaluate. In other words, don't give your own answer to the question. Let the Spirit give this answer. What do you value most? What do you desire more than anything? Can you say, there's no one else for me? And there's nothing else for me? And if the Spirit helps you answer that question, can I just tell you that the story is in Scripture and the time of invitation is still a time where you could be honest and say that was true, but the text of scripture and the spirit is telling me right now that if I can be invited and I can come, that invitation still stands today. Right now. Right now. You can say, I'm going to put everything aside that was more important. And I'm going to come to the bank. last few minutes here, I want to just show you then the application to the story. It really comes with one implication and two applications. The implication is this. Jesus wants a full banquet and he invites everybody. That's the implication. The implication is that there's, notice, three kinds of people who are invited to this banquet. There are those who were invited very clearly. There are those who were not invited originally. And then there were those who were completely unaware that there was even an invitation offer. The invited were the original audience, the religious leaders, the Israelites. Uh, they were blessed by religion, but deceived by self-sufficiency and prideful presumption and lack of humility and compassion, all the things we saw earlier. The invited were the unclean or social out outcast Israelites. They, they, they were the social outcast of today, those who are overlooked and feel unworthy and feel forgotten. And then there are simply those who are unaware. that In the original story, they were the Gentiles, the, out the highways and the hedges. Today, it's everyone. It's everyone. Everyone is invited to this story. And they don't even know they have a need. And they don't know that the host has already provided the solution and the invitation. Jesus wants a banquet full. Listen, he wants us to be inviting everybody to the banquets. That's the implication. Everybody. Nobody's not included. Everybody gets the invitation. Church, can we be a church that says everybody's invited? Can we be the, the highways and the hedges making that message known? Can we be on mission the way he has called us to? Because Jesus desires a full banquet. He says, compel them in verse 23, or make them come in, which, by the way, is not by force, it's by persuasion. There's a need to convince people to help them realize you're blind and you're broken. And, and, and the... 
The devil is constantly trying to think that you're healthy and well and see everything the way it's supposed to be. And so, yes, it takes a compelling persuasiveness uh, to that spot. Listen, we need to invite everybody into the banquet. Tell everyone there's still room at the table. Whether they caused their own brokenness or the broken world did it to them, invite them to the table. Invite the drug dealer and tell them there's still room. Invite the convict and the tax evader and the greedy and the abused teen and tell them there's room at the table for you. Tell the battered spouse there's room at the table. Tell the elderly, the gambler, the pornographer, the, the betrayed, the single parent, the addict, the abandoned child, there's room at the table. Say you're invited. Tell the Democrat and the Republican and the Independent and the I don't care what political position, they're invited. Tell the lonely and unemployed, you're invited. Tell the broken and the bruised and the burdened that they're invited. The wayward and the weak and the wanton, you're invited. The damaged and the depressed and the disheartened, there's room at the table. The sick and the suffering and the sinner, Jesus is compelling me to tell you to come. The anguished and the afflicted and the anxious are the ones who can come to the table. The tempted and the tried and the tortured have a spot at the table. The lame and the lost and the least have a spot at the table, and the outcast and the overlooked and the overtaken, they can come too. And the poor and the persecuted and the perverted, there's a spot at the table. Tell everyone and anyone that you come in contact with, there's still room at the table through the grace of God through Jesus Christ. There's room at the table. But there's also a warning here. There's a warning a warning to those who have been invited and don't come. And while everybody gets the invitation, can we just focus personally on your heart for a second and ask and show you not everybody makes it to the table. The warning here, the application is don't presume that you are an insider because you are religious. can spend your entire life wrapped up in religious activity, going to religious community, being, doing religious thinking, but at the end of the day, find yourself on the outside. I mean, the, the people at this banquet, they kept the Sabbath, they found honor at religious gatherings, they invited, they knew that they were, they were worthy, they, they got people to pay them back, and, and, and they weren't at the table. So I would encourage you to repent. If you've considered yourself religious, Jesus is talking to you. And, and if you feel the tension in the text, like the religious leaders would have felt, Jesus is confronting you. But know that his confrontation is actually the invitation. Yes, he's calling you to something different. But the call to something different is actually an invitation to be in relationship with him and be at the table. It's an invitation to say, it's okay if I'm broken, if I'm poor and crippled and lame and blind. won't come. 
then lastly, notice that you are invited, so just come. <laughs> That's what we're getting to. It's just that simple, just come. Just come. The invitation still stands. You're not going to be able to, by the way, to repay this invitation in any way, and that's okay, because remember, Jesus said he wasn't in it for getting repaid back for when he got invited, when he was invited. You're not too far to respond to the invitation. Whether you're in the room here today, or you, you're in the room physically, but you feel like you're in the streets and the alleys, or far away down the roads and the hedges, the invitation is to you to come. Jesus is spreading his arms wide open to you, Listen, don't let the tension of the confrontation cause you to miss that his arms are wide open to you. And he's saying, no, it's for you. Come. But remember, there's only one way to come. And that is to recognize that you are poor and crippled and in need. Blind and lame. Not because of any awesomeness on your part. So that you make no excuse of prideful presumption and pursue other things. When we recognize we're like group number two, needy, broken, marked by doubts, have baggage, filled with anxiety, fear, hungry, but not always sure what for, Jesus says, come. Excuses and not show up. Lord, help us to repent, to repent of anything that is more important to us than you. Lord, by your spirit, help us to release those things now. We know we can't do that in our strength. Change our hearts, we ask. Transform us in that. Lord, help us to be those who get to be the messengers to tell everyone they're invited. Help us not to limit. Forgive us, Lord, if we were to limit the invitation. Help us to be messengers of yours that say, Come. There's a great banquet who's put on by the great king who says that he wants you there. Lord, help us to 